do that. There we go. Okay. So we're going to start this morning with referencing from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, Give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's very clear throughout scripture and through all of Jesus' teaching that true worship involves our whole life, our whole body. There's not one little aspect of life that doesn't fall under how we worship God. It's a Monday through to Sunday, 24 hour, 365 day a week sort of a thing. It involves our actions, it involves our words, it involves the way we treat one another as referenced in our Mark uh, scripture this morning where God says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. This is how we worship. But for the purposes of today and for the purpose of, of this the value of being spirit-filled worshippers. I want to focus on our gathered times, our corporate worship, um, although it does have an impact and an influence on your individual worship as well. Uh, and, and if we're going to get even more specific to that, within the gathered worship, um, again, all things are worship. The way, we, the way we welcome one another, the way we um, come in the way we, everything is worship, but sung worship is unique. There's something powerful and special about the gift that God has given us of song. And even, it's even more incredible when we use it as to gift God back through worship. So I really want to focus on sung worship, on the way we use our voices in worship to God this morning. So, Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, they give us this glimpse of heaven, this reality of heaven. And shock of shocks, it's not cute little baby angels and nappies with harps floating on the clouds singing lullabies to the baby Jesus. It's, it's not even remotely close to that. Um, it's about God. It's this phenomenal display and the, John kind of has trouble with his words trying to explain it and describe it to us that's how amazing the reality of heaven is but it's from what John tells us it's all about God and there is so much just in chapters four and five that we could speak for hours on and you'll be grateful to know that I don't plan on speaking for hours on that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull just four things that really struck me that I, wanna, I want us to sort of learn and meditate and take away from. But there's so much more you could. So do, do crack open your Bible at some point later this week and just spend some time in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. But here are the four things. I'll give you a sneak preview of the four things. Worship is all about God, is number one. Number two, we could never worship Him enough. There is no limit to the worship that God is worth. Number three, Jesus is the one. He is worthy. And number four, when we join in with heaven's worship, we are changed. So those are the four things. Here's how I think it works. We open up in Revelation chapter four 
And John, John doesn't do a great job of describing God. We get this very brief mention of this, the appearance of the one on the throne is like jasper and emeralds. And then, and then he's like, it's almost like even that's not enough and I may as well just give up trying to describe the one on the throne there. So now I'm just going to describe what's going on. Is, is how John sort of moves into this. But, but from the outset, we see that it is all about God, that every heart, every sound, every movement is focused on and revolves around the worship of the one who's on the throne. So we get this, this one-liner of the one who's on the throne, and then John just goes into great detail now to describe how everything else revolves around the one who is on the throne and how everybody else is responding to the one on the throne. So we read about these, these precious jewels and rainbows and this lightning and thunder and crystal seas and it's, it's, it's nothing like an Anglican service, is it? It's, it's nothing like any service actually that I've ever seen or been to really. It's, it's phenomenal. It's almost beyond description but straight away we do see how John describes things that God is the center of all of it and he's also the source of all of it everything is described by John in chapter 4 in a way that it all radiates from God's presence and it surrounds his throne it doesn't sort of trickle out and and die out a distance away or it doesn't get distracted by the the photo booth opportunity and I'm sure heaven's got some amazing you know photo opportunities but it doesn't get distracted by that it sort of it sort of ripples out and yet it stays turned towards the center the one who's on the throne and so this is what the first thing about being a spirit-filled worshiper means for us is that our worship is all about him. If all of heaven and all of creation is focused on worshipping God, then therefore as his created ones and as his children, we should be giving of our time, our praise, our adoration, our hearts and our lives to him because he is worth it. He is worthy. And if you remember the, in, the, um, in the newsletter, the little blurb that I wrote, I, I, I did a little explanation of what worthy of what worship is it's, it's about giving worth to someone and God is worth the worship he's he is worthy of being given the worth of our time the value of our praise the value of our lives he is worth it which means it's not about style it's not about our preferences it's not even about how I'm feeling or my emotions. God doesn't change. The one who's seated on the throne doesn't change just because I'm a little bit tired or just because I've had a really rubbish day or a week. He is still God. He is still on the throne and he's still worth it. So as tired as I am, as grumpy as I might be, whatever, God is still worth worship because of who he is and because of what he's done through Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Because he is so worth it, we could never worship him enough. We are fools to think that an hour on a Sunday is gonna, is gonna tick the box, is gonna do it. It ticks a box if you're just after religion, 
But if you're after relationship, connection with Jesus, then an hour on a Sunday, 15 minutes, because let's be honest, we don't sing for a whole hour. I mean, if we did, that would be phenomenal. It would also make our throats a little bit sore, wouldn't it? We could never worship enough. We get, another, we get this amazing description of the throne room of God. And again, it's very clear that God is the center of it all. But then we get told what's going on around it. And there's, there's these 24 elders in white robes with golden crowns. They sound pretty important. Let's be honest. They sound pretty important. And yet, their focus is solely on the one on the throne. And then you've got these four weird, peculiar heavenly creatures with weird heads and wings and but eyes on their wing in fact eyes everywhere it's a bit it's a bit odd and we're told if you read verse 8 each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes around them and even under its wings day and night they never stop saying holy 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 day and night they never stop now there's not a lot of ambiguity in that phrase, is there? There's not a lot of sort of wiggle room for those creatures of, where's my bank holiday? Do you know, I <laughs> need a break. Or do you know what, God, it's been a really rubbish day. Uh, the other dude, the, the ox face dude, he looked at me strange and his wing, you know, poked me in the eye. And it's, you know, day and night, night and day, they never stop worshiping. They cannot stop in the face of the glory of God. You cannot help but worship. And so for us, we shouldn't think that we've done the job just simply turning up on a Sunday. We shouldn't think we've done the job if we've sung a really fun song that really, you know, gives us the the goosebumps or or makes us feel comfortable. Because it's not about that. And it's not even about us. It's about the one seated on the throne. And if the angels... And the elders cannot stop worshipping him. We shouldn't stop either. And now, yes, life, we've got to do life. You know, we can't just stop and not eat and not work and not do all that. But quick reference back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Everything can be worship. So let's make everything worship. But back to our gatherings and back to our sung stuff. There's a hymn. That beautifully sums up what I'm trying to say. And it says this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God is so worth it. We could never run out of reasons for giving him our adoration and our praise. That We could never run out of opportunities to give him glory and honour. And so for us, let's not think that a Sunday morning does the ticking. Let's seek to be spirit-filled worshippers with our whole lives. But here's, here's where it gets even more fun. Point three, Jesus is worthy. So we've seen in chapter four, right? There's this God who is worth all the worship and all the adoration of heaven and earth, of all these phenomenal angelic creatures. 
And then this mighty angel stands up. And, and literally, that's the word that's used in my Bible here. Chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? We get this mighty angel. You know, I kind of think he's quite hench, quite buff, quite just ginormous. And he says, Who's worthy? And initially, no one. No one is worthy to open the scroll. No one can be found. None, and it says no one in the heavens, on the earth, or on the earth. So, in the heavens, none of these previously mentioned peculiar creatures of heaven, none of the 24 elders, not even this mighty angel, there's no one in heaven that's worthy to open the scroll. None of the heavenly creatures are able to. And then it says, and there's no one on earth. So there's no, not the richest person on earth that we currently have or there ever will be. Not the, um, not the most popular celebrity. Not the fastest, strongest athlete. No one on earth is worthy to open the scroll. And then it mentions under the earth, which is kind of like, you know, those who are buried, those who are dead and gone. So that kind of means no previously alive person. Not Alexander the Great, not King Arthur, not Mandela, not even Abraham or King David were worthy to open the scrolls. And then, then the Lamb appears. Chapter 5, uh, five verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seas. John writes, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Here we see the lamb in all of its power and all of his glory. And it's Jesus. The only one who's able to open the scroll that, this, that is held by the one seated on the throne. Is the lamb of God. The lion of Judah. The one who was slain but who is risen. Jesus Christ. And at that point, verse 8, when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, all fall before the Lamb. And they start singing a new song. And then John writes, he says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb. And then I heard every creature, verse 13, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus appears and all of creation turns to worship him. From the wondrous and mighty angelic creatures to the thousands and millions of angels and to all of creation, they join together in a new song, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Praise and honor and glory belong to him forever. So Jesus is worthy. What he has done 
by coming to earth in the form of man, living and dying on the cross for our sins, as guilty and as depraved as we were, he is worthy to open the scroll. He is worthy of all honor and creation, all honor and power and glory. And all of creation worships him. And now we join with the fourth. We get to join in with heaven's worship. When we gather together to worship, when we worship separately with our lives, we're joining in. But like I said, there is something about sung worship that opens our hearts in a way that no other sort of worship does. And it makes the veil between heaven and earth really thin. And here's what I think it is. So, which, you know, is amazing. Let's be honest. We get that, that, that imagery in, in, verse, in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelations of heaven's worship. We get to join in with, which is just such an amazing privilege and phenomenon. And here's why I think sung worship particularly is special. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. And this is why I think when we sing, when we worship God through song, that veil between heaven and earth becomes thin for two reasons. One, God promises to inhabit the praises of his people. So when we praise him, God comes and makes his home amongst us in that praise. So that alone, I mean, I don't, like, if that's God in heaven, I mean, I, I kind of don't want to ever stop singing. To have him draw near like that would be amazing. But here's the other reason why I think sun worship is so important. There's a guy called Jack Hayford. He writes, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one being worshipped. I'll say that again. Worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one being worshipped. When we worship God, God inhabits the praises of our worship. And his presence has the power to change us. I mean, you cannot help but be changed in God's presence, can you? John Piper, some of you might know him. He's quite a well-known Christian author. He writes it this way. I'm going I'm to quote, give you a quote. He says this. From your heroes, you pick up mannerisms and phrases and tones of voice and facial expressions and habits and demeanors and convictions and beliefs. The more admirable the hero is and the more intense your admiration is, the more profound will be your transformation. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable. And our admiration rises to the most absolute worship. And therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change is profound. So when we gather together, when we join in heaven's worship, we can't help but be changed into the image of the one we're worshipping. Because we're worshipping them, and then because God inhabits the praises of our worship. He inhabits that place, and in his presence, we are transformed and changed. So, how does this, this is a great theory. So, the, the theory goes like this. Worship's all about God. We could never worship God enough. Jesus is the worthy one. 
Because of him, we have access to the throne room of God. We can enter that throne room of God without fear of condemnation or rejection. And when we join in with heaven's worship, heaven draws near and we are changed. So that's the theory. So in practice, what does this mean? Well, it means that all of our life is worship. Yes. But it means that when we gather, because we're looking specifically at when we gather, it means that when we gather to worship, we are going to gather intentionally. It's not just going to be a box ticking exercise. It's not going to be because there's nothing better to do on a Sunday. Because let's be honest, oftentimes there's quite a lot better to do on Sunday. Even just having a lay-in sometimes feels like just the most marvellous thing to do. But we be intentional about gathering. And when we gather, we intentionally invite God's Holy Spirit to come, to move amongst us, to help us to worship so that we behold well, so that heaven comes and inhabits our praise. And then it also means that we are going to be willing to respond in true worship like the elders and like the cherubim, those winged creatures, to respond in the right way. Where the worship of God takes precedence over our preferences, over our plans, over our position. It means that if God moves in this place, we're not going to be like, Oh, do you know what? I've I've got something in the oven. Well, you know, if you've got something in the oven, you might want to worry about that. But we're not going to, if God moves, we're going to be, we're going to be all right with that. Because there's nothing better than God. He's worth it. He's worthy of it all. It means that we may pause in our services when we feel like that veil between heaven and earth is really thin. And we think, actually, this is a moment. Let's pause. Because we're here for God. We want more of God. If he's near, then let's stop. See what he wants to do. It might mean that we stop. It might mean that we go completely off piece. Then Mark doesn't preach for too long after all. And we just stay in this place of, of worship. It might, it might be that the service looks different. It might not. It might be that it all goes how we thought it would go. Because even in our liturgy, that's worship. And God inhabits the praises of his people. Which means, though, we're not going to let familiarity breed contempt. And how, no matter how familiar are we, we are with either the worship song or with the liturgy, we're not just going to, you know, blase, 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 is that the blase, with, in blase? Anyway, there's a word. I've forgotten how to use that word. Like that word. Just go through it without thinking. We're going to be intentional because we fully expect God to inhabit the praises of his people. It also means that when we leave our gatherings, we're gonna leave, we expect to leave our gatherings different than how we arrived because we've come into the presence of God and like we've said, when we Worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one being worshipped. And when we worship, God inhabits the praises of his people and we can't help but be changed. So when we leave this place, we expect to be changed because we expect God to have met with us. It means that we will open our hearts and our lives both in the gathering and when we're away as we're in regular life in the expectation that God will show up. And that we will be brave disciples when he does show up 
when he asks us to do or say or go, that we will respond in worshipful obedience as we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength and join in with heaven's worship of the one who is worthy of it all. Amen. Amen. Worship is so exciting. Oh my days. Do go and spend some time reading Revelation 4 and 5 because you'll just get so excited. And and, and, ah, imagine, 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 imagine if we worship with such intent and such abandonment that the glory of God would fall in this place. Now that's something to get excited and be intentional about.